we're in the season of Lent, and it's a good time to assess our spiritual condition. One way to do this is through an observation by Dr. Henry Cloud, a noted Christian psychologist and frequent teacher and preacher. Cloud has said that most Christians, especially if you've been in the evangelical tradition, but most Christians have been taught to believe a threefold formula about God and our relationship to God, who we are and who we are in relationship to Him, and about what we're supposed to do about that relationship. It's a very simple formula. This is what we've been taught. Willingly or unwillingly, this is what we've been taught and what we've heard. God is good. You are bad. Try harder. That's the message. That's the message that unwittingly we preacher types and others communicate to you about how we successfully connect with God and how we live the Christian life. God is good. You're bad. Try harder. That's it. All the struggles of faith, of life, the future, our relationships, what we're called to do under that theory is just try harder. And what I want to say this morning is it would be a mistake. It would be a mistake, particularly in the season of Lent, to think that a season dedicated to some introspection and some change is really about the message of simply trying harder. That formula is presented to us as a fully biblical message. It's only partly biblical. The problem with that message is it picks up from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through. In Genesis chapter 3, with the fall of humankind, to be sure, we are sinners. There's no finessing that. We're all made out of the stuff of sin. We all have a sin problem. The problem is there are two chapters before that, obviously Genesis 1 and 2, where we learn, for example, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 25 and 26, it says it twice. We're created in the very image of God. In the image of God did he create us, male and female. We're also told in Genesis 1 and 2 that we're of great value. We're created in God's own eternal image, but we are also beings of great value, great purposes as God for us. He gave us great responsibility. We are vitally important in God's creation, and we are deeply loved by God. So when we look at the threefold formula, the first phrase is certainly true. God is good. He is utterly good. He is entirely good. He's better than we could ever even imagine. The second line is true. We are sinners. But it leaves out this image of God, which is still remnant in us. It's still part of who we are. And the third part is just a recipe for despair. That the answer to all of our faith issues and the answers to all the hard questions of life, the answers to overcoming sin the answers to drawing closer to God is just try harder. As I go on to speak about this, I want you to know there is a place for human effort. The reading of the Bible, prayer life, the devotions, the, the disciplines of Lent, all of those things have their place. 
But none of them, none of them can be done simply and solely by our own effort. A lot of us this Lenten season are doing some extra examination of our souls. We find ourselves, frankly, deficient when we do that. It's helpful, it's necessary, it's beneficial to go through the process. Most of us want to live a more full, complete Christian life. We want to be more merciful. We want to be more kind. We want to be more loving. We want to be more generous, more patient. The list for most of us is really pretty long. So some of us try harder, as if within us is the right stuff to do all of those things. What happens is we make some short-term progress, but in the end, we seem to go back to where we started. We take three steps forward and two back, or we take two steps forward and three back. It seems to be an endless process of going forward and going backwards. The other option is to ask God to provide his faithful response to the needs of our life, to ask him as we take in his word and the shared discernment and support of the community around us, of the people in our Bible studies or study groups or in the congregation where we get helpful, helpful comments and shared discernment, communal discernment for the life of the Christian faith. That's what's required to make progress. Individually, simply trying harder is usually a recipe for despair. What we see in John chapter 3, in this encounter with Nicodemus and Jesus, is a wonderful and fascinating account. We see an earnest man, Nicodemus, he is at least that. He is an earnest man, an earnest inquirer into matters of Jesus. But he didn't have a clue what Jesus was talking about. He wanted to be right with God but the responses that Jesus gives to his questions don't match up with what he thinks is right. It's not like he didn't have the right credentials. He was sincere. He was also a Pharisee. And even more than that, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, a group of 70 deeply religious and well-politically-connected Jewish men who decided the laws and customs for everybody. They were the upper crust of Jewish spiritual life. They were people of real power and influence. If Pharisees were rule keepers, and Nicodemus was also one of those, then to be a member of the Sanhedrin was to be a member of a group that kept the rules for everybody else and made the rules for everybody else and adjudicated the rules for everybody else. To be a member of that group, you weren't just a rule keeper. You were the keeper of the rules for everybody. Later in the gospel, we find that the Sanhedrin, this group of which Nicodemus was a part, was the group that aided and abetted the arrest and trial of Jesus. They appear again in the book of Acts as the chief persecutors of the early church. These were powerful people but powerful people still on the outside looking in when it came to the things of God that really mattered. So here's Nicodemus, a member of the Pharisees whose name itself derives from the word pious in Hebrew, 
a member of this elite core of the Sanhedrin, a self-righteous, but also very sincere man. He comes to Jesus at night. He has some courage, but not a lot of courage because just coming even at night when he presumes he won't be detected is a courageous act. He comes to Jesus at night and he asks for spiritual counsel. And going into the conversation, we clearly see these two men are on very different wavelengths. Nicodemus is operating out of an understanding framed by the approach of God's good, I'm bad, parentheses, but not as bad as most people, and I'm very willing to try harder. So tell me, Jesus, tell me what I'm supposed to try harder at. That's what I need to know. Jesus comes at this with a very different solution to Nicodemus's issues. And Nicodemus didn't even, couldn't possibly have seen it coming. Jesus told him, Nicodemus, you have got to be born again. Literally, the word means you have got to be born from above. God has got to enter your life in a new and fresh way and dramatic way. That's what has to happen to you. You have to see things entirely differently. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus, this man wanting to be ever more righteous, is now being told it's not in trying harder that he'll become more righteous. Jesus says that God is the initiator of righteousness. And unless you cooperate with God's good grace, you won't see or you will not experience the kingdom of God. We know Nicodemus didn't get this because he interpreted being born again in an entirely wrong way, actually quite comically. His reaction is purely on the physical level. He tells me I've got to be born again. How do I do that? How do I go back into my mother's womb and be born again and start over? That's kind of the ultimate trying harder, isn't it? But that wasn't the answer. No, Jesus says this is a spiritual reality, Nicodemus. This isn't a physical reality. This is a spiritual reality. This isn't something you do. This is something God initiates and accomplishes with your cooperation. But it requires a regenerated you, not just trying harder in the same old way. There's a lot right with Nicodemus. He does have a bit of courage. At least he's asking some questions that are sort of relevant. He, like the other Pharisees, had seen Jesus heal people. They had seen the results of Jesus' power. They had heard him preach. So at some risk, he's coming to find out real answers, but he's, he's still not getting it. He's closer, but he's not there yet. Nicodemus, I think, is sort of in a spiritual twilight zone. It's kind of like the twilight in our evenings now, close to 7 o'clock, where the sun has gone down, but there's still light. You wouldn't call it day. You wouldn't call it night. It's twilight. It's an in-between zone. Nicodemus is now entering this in-between zone. He knows he needs to do something different. He just can't yet figure it out. 
But what he needs, Jesus says, is a new spiritual heart, a new life. What he doesn't need is just more information. And what he doesn't need is just to try harder. The Apostle Paul wrestles with this reality throughout the book of Romans. But in Romans chapter 4, he says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, Think Nicodemus, by the way, as one who depended on the law. If those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also who have the faith of Abraham. Paul's making the case that it's really always been by faith that people are made right with God. It has always been by faith. It's never been earned by works or by effort. Paul is essentially saying amen to Jesus' comments to Nicodemus. Righteousness, righteousness, a right standing before God comes by faith. It comes by being born from above, by responding to God's initiative, not by a determination to be better by trying harder. Our faith is rooted and grounded in Christ's victory over sin and death. That's where it all is grounded. Everything else is belief and faith and trust. This is a holy season for me, and I'm not just talking about Lent. So at the risk of being irreligious, I will tell you that March Madness is a holy season for me. <laughs> I love basketball, and it's no surprise, I've mentioned it before, that I played the game. By now, I'm a legend in my own mind. <laughs> and at night, I can go to sleep dreaming of those incredible shots that I actually never really made. I did love the game. By the time I got to college, I was a very mediocre player. We former athletes have a real capacity for remembering the glory days in ways that bear no relationship to reality. So as I tell this story, just understand that I understand that. One of my memories was actually not a good one. It's one that still occasionally gives me some nightmares. I played for a very mediocre team, so I'm a mediocre player for a mediocre team. And one day, we, one evening, we played a, a team that was really good and had a guy who was seven feet tall. He was actually 7'1", went on to play pro basketball, was very good. My team was not only mediocre, we were not particularly tall. And though I may seem tall in basketball language, I'm really not all that tall. And we had about four players my height. And so for some reason, the coach says, Clark, you're going to guard their big guy. He's 7-1. And he's really good. And so I got to guard him. 
And for some other reason, the coach decided we're going to run a man-to-man defense, which means I'm not going to get very much help from my teammates, which means this is going to be a nightmare. About three minutes into the game, I already had my second foul. If you watch a lot of basketball, you see the stuff under the basket, which is, you know, borderline illegal. So I'm making my confession. But you, you grab them. You try to grab their arm. You try to kick their knees. You do anything you can. You, you just try any trick you can to try to get them from scoring over you yet again. So after I had two fouls in two minutes, the coach called a timeout. We're all walking toward the bench. This is going to be, we're going to really get chewed out, but there's not much we can do. And I just went ahead and volunteered it. Coach, I need some help. We've got to go to a zone. I cannot guard this guy. And the coach looked at me and says, well, just lean on him more. <laughs> coach, I, I really am leaning on him. All I know, I, I couldn't lean anymore. Well, Clark, just try harder. I fouled out pretty quickly. <laughs> the next guy who came in tried to do what I do. He fouled out. We lost the game by a whole lot of points. Trying harder. Isn't that our automatic answer to so many things? I mean, we're a people who try, right? I mean, we're people who've worked hard in life and school and work and sports and whatever. We, we've tried. We've been blessed enough probably to think that maybe a little more effort and we can really achieve what we need to achieve. When we hear the story of Nicodemus, hear it through that grid, that Nicodemus really was a lot like us. Nicodemus was told by Jesus, no, you need to do something different. Trying harder isn't going to make this happen. Not this initial faith in God. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, I've been sent by my father to show God's love and grace to you. Put your faith in me and God will come rushing to your side. One of the things I've discovered, I discovered every Lent and I realize it's just something I got to wrestle with. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I am. I really like rules. I like rule keeping. I'm a pretty orderly person. I want God to be pleased with me, and so I try to do the right thing. I'm certainly not saying I always succeed, but I, I try. Something still deep within me wants to please God by keeping the rules and by believing I'm a pretty good guy for doing that. Lent reveals the cracks in my foundation when it comes to that. And I don't always like seeing it. You see, I and a lot of us somehow think God grades on the curve. If you were ever in a hard class, like for me, tough math classes were always a challenge. The, the way I got through them was that it was tough on everybody. And so we counted on the curve, right? I couldn't have possibly made a 90 and gotten an A, but actually I would have been lucky to make an 80 or a 70. But anyway, I always counted on the grade being okay because the curve was established. So as long as I was in the top 30% or something, I'm, I'm all right. 
And that's the way we approach faith issues when we're try-harder kinds of people. We just try harder and assume that that's going to please God. Lent also reminds me, though, not only about my sin, but it also reminds me that God loves me and God loves everyone around me. And it is by his grace that we've been brought into a new relationship with Jesus and with those around us. It is by God's grace that we grow in faith. So maybe you're like me. Maybe by nature you're a rule keeper. I just want to remind you, trying harder and keeping the rules isn't the answer to a growing faith. Let God's good grace flow you, flow through you. It is incredible the peace you find when that happens. So maybe you're a person who's here and you've been on a quest for God for a long time. You might be an earnest God seeker, but have never really said yes to this God who says you have to be born from above. Let me, let me make an analogy this way. If I had a cell phone with me and I turned on the cell phone, that cell phone would initially, immediately go into search mode. It would go into a search mode for the Wi-Fi signal or for the satellite for connecting that phone to the source. It would go immediately into a search process. The moment you walked in these doors and long before, God had you in search mode. And what God would want to say to you is not by all means, if you're spiritually confused or in a dark place, by no means is he saying to you, well, you just by your own effort have got to try harder. What he would say to you is, look to me. If you've never been born from above, receive me into your life. Embrace the goodness and grace that I have brought to you. And walk with me. Walk with me. God is waiting for that receptive signal from you, from all of us. Would you listen for that? Would you listen for that and trust the good graces of God, even in this Lenten season, to work his life in and through you, to make you the person that instinctively you want to be? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your good graces. Thank you that in our pursuit of the Christian life, this is not about us trying to please you by keeping the law. Lord, this is our grateful response to your great love for us. And we give you thanks. And Lord, if there is anyone here who is still wrestling with this essential question, how am I made right in the relationship with God? May they know they can be born from above by simply asking, Lord, be my Savior and let me follow you. For your good word to us, God, through John chapter 3, through all of your scripture, and especially through the life of Jesus, we give you thanks for grace. In his name we pray. Amen.